0: So last week, we covered a lot of ground. Uh, I understand that it was a longer sermon. Uh, We looked at the baptism of Jesus and then the genealogy of Jesus and then the temptation of Jesus. And now, today, we have really the beginning of Jesus' public ministry. And we said that although those three events, uh, they seem like they are um, individual events, they're deeply connected with one another because it shows us that Jesus is the true Son of God. That Jesus is the true Son of God that is beloved by the Father. The baptism shows us he is the one who was promised by Scripture. The genealogy shows us that. And then we see in the temptation of Jesus that Jesus is the true Son of God who is victorious over the devil, who is faithful to the Father. Uh, In the midst of temptation, uh, he did not fall into temptation and sin. Um, He did not walk in disobedience like Adam, like Israel in the Old Testament, or like us. But rather, he walked in faithfulness. He did the will of the Father. He, he relied on God's word and God's spirit. And he came out victorious from that, that test. And not only do we see this in the middle of temptation, but this is a trend that we see every moment of Jesus' life, that Jesus is constantly relying on God's Spirit. He is preaching God's word, and he's doing the will of the Father. Those are the three things that we see um, throughout Jesus' life. Uh, Especially in today's passage, as As Luke is summarizing Jesus' public ministry, especially in Galilee, it says in verse 14, And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and a report about him went out through all the surrounding country. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. So again, you see the Spirit of God empowering Jesus. You see Jesus doing the will of the Father all throughout the cities of Galilee. And then you see that his main ministry is the preaching of God's Word. And so in his private life and his public ministry, Jesus was consistent. That he walked with the Spirit. He preached the Word of God. He did not rely on the praises of many. Rather, he He did the will of the Father. And that's a trend that we see throughout Jesus' ministry. But what comes next is a very specific incident that happened in Jesus' early ministry in Galilee. We see that now he is in his hometown, Nazareth. Many scholars say that this town is so small that there's only about 500 people that are living in this town. So everyone knows each other. They all grew up together together. And we know that this is not the first event that took place in Galilee because we read in Matthew and Mark's account of the gospel that this is something that happens later in his ministry in Galilee. So this is happening when Jesus already is... a a pretty famous minister, that he's well-known, that people are coming to him for healing, for, for miracles. Uh, his population is, uh, popularity is off the chart, and we see that Luke, he picks this specific story, and he gives an introduction to Jesus' ministry, ministry because he wants us to see that there's something central in Jesus' ministry. And it's, it's this. It's the fact that Jesus, he came to Fulfill prophecy and he came to preach the gospel. Jesus came to fulfill prophecy and he came to preach the gospel. So in today's passage, I want us to see what Jesus came to do and who he came to reach. Jesus came to fulfill prophecy and he came to preach the gospel. Look at verse 16. It says this And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up and as was his custom he went to the synagogue on the sabbath and he stood up to read and so we see in the new testament there's been a culture that has been developed among the jews we see that that they have these things called synagogues in different places Now, this is not the same thing as the temple, very different. There's only one temple in Jerusalem that is quite significant because that represents the presence of God, the promises of God. Uh, But all throughout Israel, you had these synagogues, basically places of worship, where people gathered, they they listened to the word of God, you would have someone stand up and read a passage of scripture, and then someone would expound on that passage, explain that text, and then help people to apply that text to their own personal lives. They would read from the laws of Moses, and then they would read from a passage in the prophets. And so we see that the Bible says, Luke says, this was a custom. This is something that Jesus regularly did throughout his ministry, even when he was traveling, he went to church, basically. That's what the Bible is saying, that this was something that was normal uh, for Jesus, a regular part of Jesus' life, that he kept the Sabbath holy, that he gathered with people, he spent time in God's word. And so we see the new, the, the, in the New Testament this concept being uh, ex, ex, expanding uh, to the Christians in the Lord's day. But on this particular day, Jesus... He, A lot of times, because he is a well-known rabbi, uh, the the leaders will ask him to be the the reader and the preacher, and so he's given a specific text. We are told that he was given uh, something from the prophet Isaiah, from the book of Isaiah. Understand that at this time, people did not have like the complete Bible that we do. Uh, this only happens later in the 16th century. So a lot of times, they would have pieces and, and, and wrappings of, of Scripture. And so Jesus is given um, a part of the prophet uh, Isaiah, his writings. And it's interesting that Luke says, although he was given the text in the book of Isaiah— Jesus, he picked a specific text, Isaiah 61. And this is a beautiful passage about the coming Messiah, about the anointed one, about about the promised king. The word Messiah literally means anointed one. And that's where we get the word Christ, by the way. Christ is not Jesus' last name. Christ means uh, the Messiah. It's the Greek transliteration of the Hebrew word Messiah. And so we see that Jesus, he is, that he is associated with the anointed one. Listen to the words of Jesus reading from the book of Isaiah. It says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. That is the verb form of Christ. He has anointed me. Someone has been anointed by the Spirit of God to proclaim the good news To the poor, he has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of the sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. A beautiful passage Of the coming Messiah. And he rolls up the scroll, he gives it back to the attendant there. He sat down, and everyone is looking at Jesus because this is an incredible passage. They're wondering, what is Jesus going to say? Most likely, he's going to say, Well, let's continue hoping the Lord that one day God is going to return and restore our lives, the nation of Israel. You see that someone is coming, the year of the Lord, his favor is upon us, something encouraging, and yet Jesus. What he says is quite remarkable. He says in verse 21 today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. This scripture came true. It's it's been fulfilled. Like He's saying the prophet Isaiah who spoke hundreds of years ago, he was speaking about me. That's what he's saying. And it's quite remarkable because this is happening in Jesus' hometown. It's like... it's a buddy that you grew up with, and you, you've been in Bible studies with this buddy, and one day, this buddy is reading a passage of scripture, and you're thinking he's going to just share his devotion, and then all of a sudden, he says, well, this passage is about me. Like, everyone is, is, is astonished by the claims of, of Jesus, so two things that Jesus came to do, number one, is Jesus came to fulfill the word of God. He came to fulfill the word of God. God's word is fulfilled in, in Jesus Christ. It's talking about Jesus. So Jesus basically takes Scripture, and he points Scripture to himself. He is the point of Scripture. And that's why in every sermon, in every teaching, in every lesson that we give, at least in Shining Star, we try to make a connection to Jesus. It's not because we think that's a cool thing to do. We feel like it's the appropriate thing to do, because Jesus himself pointed to himself when he read Scripture. He later says in Luke 24, after giving a full-on lesson in the Old Testament to these two disciples, he says, well, this is about me. And so the point of Scripture, the point of God's word is Jesus. All things are pointing to Jesus. So he is the fulfillment of God's word. But also notice that Jesus came to preach the good news, the gospel. That's what the gospel literally means, good news, euangelion. You Eu means good, "angelion" means message, good message. So Jesus came to preach the gospel. Once again, we see that the spirit of the Lord is upon this Messiah, this person, meaning that it's upon Jesus. And when we think about a person being filled with the spirit, we might imagine someone doing miracles, someone doing the supernatural, healing, all these different things. And those things do happen. But notice when the Spirit falls upon Jesus, when he is anointed by the Spirit in his baptism, when he is led by the Spirit in his temptations, when he is is led by the Spirit now in his public ministry, what does he do? He proclaims God's word. He proclaims the gospel. Three times in verse 18 and 19, you see the word "to to proclaim, to proclaim, to proclaim. The spirit of the Lord is upon Jesus so that he can proclaim the good news, so that he can proclaim this news to the captive, the poor, the blind, so he can proclaim the the favor of the Lord. And this is is the central part of Jesus' ministry. That preaching is not one of the things that Jesus did throughout his ministry. It's actually why he did ministry. He his whole point of ministry was to proclaim the gospel, to proclaim the good news, to invite people to believe in the good news of Jesus Christ. Now, don't be mistaken. It's not that he doesn't care about people. Uh, he loves people, but what he loves more than people is, is and, and addressing their physical needs is he cares about the needs of their soul. That, that's, that's his primary concern when it comes to people is their salvation, And we know this because later in this chapter, you're going to see Jesus heal uh, sick people. He's going to cast out demons. And people are surrounding him. Like there's a great crowd that's following Jesus to the point where Jesus has to remove himself. And yet people find Jesus. And they're coming to Jesus and they're asking him, where were you? Come on, do some more stuff in our life. And it says in Luke chapter 4, verse 43, Jesus speaks to the people, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well. For I was sent For this purpose, Jesus makes it very clear that He loves healing people, He loves meeting the needs of people, He loves caring for the broken physically. But His ultimate goal, His mission is to preach the good news, the gospel of the kingdom of God. And He has to do this. And so He moves on. Although there's a great need in the town, He moves on to different places to preach the good news of Jesus. So we see that, that Jesus came to fulfill the word of God. He came to preach the good news. But notice that he came for specific people. So who did Jesus come for? Uh, who, who is he targeting? Uh, we see that it's the poor, it's the captive, it's the blind, it's the press. And when we look at this list, we're like, okay, so it's, it's hard for me to kind of connect with these people. I mean, my eyesight is quite bad, but I'm not blind. Uh, I'm not necessarily in prison at this point. Uh, I'm not really that poor. So, okay, man, I don't fall into this category. Now, it is true that throughout Jesus' ministry, he 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 met with people who were economically poor. He literally opened uh, those who were physically blind. He opened their sight. Uh, we also see that he... He freed people from, from, uh, from demon, demon possessions. But we see also that there's a deeper ministry that's taking place, a deeper need in people. So for me personally, when I read this, uh, I think there is literally some, some relevance to Jesus' ministry, but Jesus is speaking about a deeper spiritual need among the people, people who are spiritually blind, people who are spiritually poor, people who are spiritually captive. How do I know this? Well, it's the context. After this, Jesus gives two examples when he's talking to his hometown people. He points to two individuals in the Old Testament who received good news from different prophets. First, the widow in Zarephath. And we see this in 1 Kings 17, this widow, she was living in the midst of a drought. If you remember all that drama that took place between Elijah and Ahab, uh, because Ahab was such a wicked king, Elijah proclaims a drought. And for three and a half years, there is no rain in the land of Israel. In the midst of this, you have this poor widow who has a child. And Elijah visits her house. And at first, he's like, give me a drink. And the widow is kind enough to give a drink. And then Elijah says, well, give me something to eat. And the widow says, well, I have a little bit of flour in my jar, a bit of oil. But I was about to make food for myself and my son so I can eat this and die. Like, I was ready to have a last meal with my son. Like, that's how broken I am. That's how in need I am. And and Elijah says, well, let me tell you, when you use that flour, when you use that oil, it will not run dry. And so they they experienced God's provision." and this incredible um, miracle in their lives. And so you literally have someone who was who 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 broken, who was poor, who was economically struggling um, in the midst of, of a drought. But the second person that Jesus points to later in this passage is, is Naaman, a Syrian general. And you might know his story He was a Syrian general, but he had leprosy. And so um, the king of Syria, he actually sends a letter to the king of Israel. And he says, well, I'm going to send you my general, but I want you to personally do something about this guy. I heard that you have a prophet who can heal people. So he sends Naaman along with a bunch of gold and silver. And so this guy Naaman, he is high in rank. He he is beloved uh, by the king. He has a lot of possession. He has a lot of power. And we're told when he meets Elisha that he shows up in horses and chariots. Like he is this wealthy guy doing well economically. And yet he has this spiritual need, this physical need too, that he is, he is struggling with this disease. And Elisha tells him, hey, go to the Jordan River and, and, and go into the water seven times. And, and at first Naaman is like, well, oh, that is crazy. Like he, he's playing with me he's trying to make a fool out of me and yet one of the servants says well you know didn't you come to, to be healed uh don't you believe that there, god can do something uh, right now and so Naaman, in obedience he humbles himself he goes to the jordan river he goes into the water seven times and miraculously he is healed and so what we see is you see someone who was economically poor but also someone who was who was economically wealthy And so I don't think that Jesus is necessarily just talking specifically about people who are economically poor, but there's a deeper need in people. Although Naaman was wealthy physically, but deep down inside, he had this brokenness. He had this spiritual need. We also see that uh, Luke says Jesus came to proclaim liberty to the captives. That's one thing that Jesus actually did not do, that he did not free people from prison. Uh, there's not one case. I mean, later that happens uh, in the book of Acts. But for Jesus, uh, if you think about his encounter with John the Baptist when he was in prison, John the Baptist, who was a faithful messenger, the forerunner for Jesus, he sends two disciples to Jesus later in Luke 7. And he sends these two disciples because he wants to ask Jesus a question. Are you really the Messiah? You can kind of tell that John is struggling in prison. Like he's hearing the news and he's been in prison for for a while at this point, and he knows his Bible. He knows that when the Messiah is coming, he's supposed to liberate the captives, the prisoners, to set free of of those who are in bondage and slavery, and, and yet he is in prison. And he's asking the question, I mean, what is going on? Jesus, you are here. Why am I still in prison? And Jesus responds kind of in the same way. Hey, go tell your teacher that the blind are receiving sight that the sick, they're being healed. And so remain faithful. And John never leaves prison. Like he dies in, in prison. So we see that literally this word is, is not fulfilled. But does Jesus free people who are under the bondage of slavery and sin, who are living in captive of demonic forces? Absolutely. So there is this spiritual aspect of, of, of the fulfillment and the good news of Jesus. Christ. Jesus literally he, he brings healing and restoration upon the broken lives of, of of a few, but to every person he he's fulfilling their spiritual need that's deep down inside because every single person in a way is broken inside, is poor in spirit. Every single person here is has at one point lived under the the, the captive um, you know, as captive to sin and Satan under the bondage of of, of slavery. And Jesus came to free people. So Jesus came to heal, free the broken, uh, those who are spiritually in, in need. Um, and this is an amazing message. But notice how people respond. His hometown folks, it says in later in verse 28, they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. They're angry. And it says, they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the bro and, of the hill and which their town was built so that they could throw him down the cliff. So they literally want to kill Jesus. They're not buying it. They don't believe Jesus. They literally want to throw Jesus off the cliff and get rid of Jesus. And the question is why? I mean, it says initially they marveled at what Jesus had to say. They even said that his words were gracious. So, so we see that Jesus came to preach the good news, to fulfill prophecy. And you would think that the people would be excited for this good news And yet for two reasons, people reject Jesus. Number one is this, they are too familiar with Jesus. They're too familiar. It says in verse 22, when Jesus spoke about the prophet Isaiah and his words, although they marvel, it says, and they said, is not this Joseph's son? In other words, we know this guy. We grew up with this guy. We went to church with this guy. Like we played ball with this guy. And yet, he is claiming that he is the Messiah. Like, like no, like, that can't be true. They're too familiar with Jesus that they fail to come face-to-face with Jesus. And in the same way, I think we struggle a lot of times, if, especially if you grew up in the church, that you heard all the stories about Jesus, yet you're familiar with Jesus. And because you're so familiar with Jesus and you think you know who he is exactly, that you struggle to come face-to-face with Jesus and you struggle to see who he is truly. A lot of us, just because we're familiar with Jesus, we believe that we are followers of Jesus, which is not the case. It's clear that there's a clear difference between being familiar with Jesus and being a follower of Jesus Christ. So being familiar with Jesus is not gonna get you anywhere. But why did people reject Jesus, his hometown folks? Number two is this. They just wanted to take care of their physical needs. They just wanted to take care of their physical needs. It says in verse 23, And he said to them, Jesus speaking to his hometown folks, Doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, Physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did you did at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. They want healing. They want Jesus to do all these miracles. They heard of what he has done in different towns, especially in Capernaum. And now he's like, Come on, do the same thing for us. Take care of our physical needs which brings us to this last question what's so wrong with jesus taking care of physical needs why why i mean for us it makes sense that jesus would take care of the poor that he would care for those who are oppressed that he would do all this work in the lives of those who are broken what's so wrong that he would say, well, I'm not going to do these physical, spiritual, these miracles, supernatural things to meet your physical needs. But I'm going to do something deeper. Well, um, I had a conversation with my mom one time. And she, uh, she actually uh, has been involved with an NGO uh, that helps with third world countries development. And I had a, con- a conversation one time. I asked her the question, why are you so devoted to this job? And I was, I was devoted to missions. I really wanted to, 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 to be involved in missions, share the gospel with people. And my mom, she's like, okay, we need to educate people. We need to give people the tools so that they can, uh, they can um, learn how to take care of themselves, how to live lives. And I asked the question, because you know, a lot of people, they just send money. They send resources. They send food. Why do you take the time and the effort to develop a system where they can be educated so that they can be self-sustained. And my mom shared this, which uh, was so insightful. She said, well, if you send relief, which is needed at times, uh, you send food, you give people money, temporarily, it's going to fix the problem. But down the road, you're going to turn them into beggars. That, that It might temporarily relieve them from their, their, spiritual, their, their physical needs and their hurt and their pain, but it's not going to really provide the solution to their problems because after some while, when the food goes away, when the money goes away, they're going to struggle in the same way, and all they're going to want is more help. And a lot of times, helping hurts. And so she was sharing how to to address the foundational problem. You have to teach people how to self-sustain, how to not just provide clean water, but how to get clean water not just to provide food, but how to make food and create food, how to do farming and all these different things. And so, and so that could produce more of a lasting impact on their society, which is absolutely true, right? I think the same is true with Jesus' ministry. Can Jesus take care of the physical, immediate needs of people? Absolutely. And what would happen? Well, for a time, they might be happy. But because they are spiritually broken inside and they're living in a broken, fallen world, they're still going to struggle with all these different problems in their lives. They might be able to have temporary relief from their problems. It will never provide the ultimate solution to their problems. The reason why Jesus says, I I, am here to preach the good news to the poor, to the captive, and take care of the spiritual needs of people is because he's not just giving you temporary relief. He wants to take care of the eternal problem that you and I are facing, which is sin and death. Until he goes and takes care of the root of the problem, we will always struggle with something, some sort of brokenness in our lives. And so we are thankful for that, that Jesus, that he sees beyond our physical needs, and he sees that really all our physical problems and needs are really deeply connected to our problem with sin And so he comes and he shares the good news to to those who are broken. So how do we apply a text like this? I just want to quickly just give you two application points. Number one is this. uh, As we look at Jesus' ministry, we have to understand that we share in Jesus' ministry. And so we have to mimic Jesus' ministry and his mission. If Jesus was was, uh, driven by the Spirit, we have to be driven by the Spirit. If he preached the good news of Jesus, uh, uh, the gospel, uh, uh, through God's word, then we need to preach the good news of Jesus through God's word. If he was devoted to the will of the Father, then we need to be devoted to the will of the Father. A lot of times we try to come up with all these different programs and strategies and, and different ways how we can grow as a church, how we can be better Christians. But at the end of the day, what Jesus tells us to do is simply follow him, to make disciples like he made disciples. And how did he make Disciples. He didn't create this this 500,000 uh, you know, uh, 500, know, group of, of, of men and women to create an organization to, to reach the nations. No, he simply started with relying on the Spirit, faithfully preaching God's word, and doing the will of the Father. In the same way, I think we have to go back to the basics. In our ministry, a lot of us are really busy, even doing good things. But are we really doing what is the most important thing in our life? which is to share the gospel, which is to share the good news of Jesus with those who are in need. So we share in the mission and the ministry of Jesus. Number two is this. We share in the rejection of Jesus. If you have been discouraged uh, because someone has rejected you when you were sharing the gospel, here's the good news. uh, You're not the first person to be rejected. That Jesus, before you have been rejected, he was rejected in many ways. Although he preached faithfully, that his words were gracious Still, people rejected Jesus. They they were unwilling to listen to Jesus. They wanted to get rid of Jesus, not because they didn't like his message, but because they were unwilling to accept their brokenness. We see the two examples, the widow and the Syrian general. Those are two people who are very unlikely to receive God's favor in the Old Testament. You have a woman, a widow, and then you have this foreigner. And yet... These are the two people that Jesus uses as an example of recipients of God's grace. And one thing that you see as you are thinking about rejection is a lot of times we, because we are so afraid of rejection, we go to people that we know, we have a, at least an 80% chance of them at least saying something positive to us. Uh, we kind of calculate in our head, so that person will be open to the gospel, that person will listen to me. Well, notice that the people who are going to respond to the gospel are people who are unlikely. The people who are going to receive the gospel are people are, that you are never going to imagine that they can be changed and, and, and renewed by the gospel. No one would have imagined a Syrian general and a widow to, to be the recipients of God's grace in such a, a, a time. And in the same way, we can't simply judge people and make decisions on who to reach and who not to reach, but we rely on God's grace. We understand that Jesus was rejected first before us. Now, you have to understand that there are times when people reject Jesus because they want to reject you. You don't have to be this, uh, a stumbling block to people. Uh, but just because people reject you doesn't mean that uh, they, they're simply rejecting you because they are rejecting Christ in you. That's something that I wanted to share. That Remember uh, that don't fear rejection. A lot of times, you will be rejected because Christ, your Lord and Savior, has been rejected. But the good news is that as you faithfully carry on the work of the gospel, people will respond. Those who are in need will come to Jesus Christ. A lot of times, in unlikely circumstances, unlikely people will come to know Jesus. And that's the good news of Jesus Christ, that he came to save sinners like you and me, and he calls us to do the same for the rest of the world. Amen? Let's pray.